You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. We're at part three. That's right, part three, which means if you missed part one and part two, you might want to go back and catch them. We are doing Choosing a Friend for Life, part three. Part one was all about asking yourself the hard questions about whether or not you were ready for a dog, what kind of dog would fit your lifestyle and needs the best. And if you had enough time and money and and, and all the good stuff that you really have to ask yourself, those really hard questions about whether or not you really are ready for a dog right now in your life. Part two about once you found out you decided you wanted a dog, how do you find one from a quality breeder? Yes, there are quality breeders out there, but there are lots of breeders out there that are not quality breeders. And what I did during part two was tell you the difference and how to find the right one. And now we're at the conclusion of our series, Working with Rescue Groups. Rescue has this warm and fuzzy connotation, but you should know that all rescue organizations are not alike. You're going to learn how to tell them apart in today's show. Once you've finished all that research on where to get your dog, is your work over? No, it is not over. There's a lot of work in getting a dog, isn't it? Now you have to actually choose the dog. So I'm going to give you fun tips on what to look for to help you bring home the perfect family companion. Folks always want to skip to that part, so thanks for sticking with me through the tough parts. We're going to tell you about rescue groups, how to choose the right dog for you when we come back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Tired of wasting money on giant boxes of litter that don't work and don't last? Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. So even a small bag lasts one cat 30 days. Outstanding odor control, quick clumping, lightweight. It's even flushable. World's best cat litter. Everything else is just litter. Find it near you at www.itsnotjustlitter.com. That's www.itsnotjustlitter.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teodi Anderson. Today, we're talking about rescue organizations. The good, the bad, the ugly. You know, everybody thinks warm and fuzzy thoughts when it comes to rescue. Oh, I have a rescue dog. And everybody around you just sighs and looks at you like you're a hero. And there's some wonderful, wonderful rescue organizations out there. And there are also some that are not wonderful. And unfortunately, that's the case. You know, according to PetFinder.com, there are an estimated 13,000. 1,857 animal adoption groups in the 
United States and Canada. That's a lot. Every city has a bunch of them. A lot of times they may have started as, as one group. A few of them may have started as one and they had some differences of opinion, so they split off. Each of them may have a different focus. Rescue groups can be dedicated to a specific breed. Sometimes they will also do courtesy postings for dogs that are not of that breed. Sometimes they're about a certain type of dog, like herding breeds or toy breeds or other types of dogs, just small dogs in general. Pit bull rescue, greyhound rescue. Sometimes they'll take in any dog. Sometimes they specialize in big dogs. Sometimes they specialize in small dogs. There's a rescue group for pretty much just about anything out there. Across the country, though, rescue groups are being shut down due to some terrible, terrible conditions for their animals. You can't go a couple months these days without seeing some national news article about a rescue group that was found with these animals in deplorable conditions. And other rescue groups have to step in and bail them out. They're taking the dogs out and they're very sickly. Some of them are dead. I think I read on online news the other day about a place in Tennessee that they found a live dog in the freezer of this rescue organization. Isn't that terrible? And you wonder, well, these are supposed to be rescue groups. What's the deal? Well, sometimes people get in over their heads. You know, they have really good intentions and maybe they start out as a quality group, but then they take in too many animals than they can properly care for. And it just spirals out of control. Some people also don't have a clue what they're doing. Maybe their hearts are in the right place, but they don't know what they're doing. And they're taking in a bunch of animals or adopting out a bunch of animals that they really shouldn't be doing because they don't have enough knowledge and education behind them. It really isn't enough just to love animals in order to work in a rescue. There really is a lot more to it than that. You really have to know how to take care of animals properly. You also have to know how to match them properly to the right families. You have to know how to solve and how to find behavior problems in these animals and make sure that you don't accidentally put a dangerous animal with a family that is not prepared for that or put a dangerous animal out at all depending on the level of danger. It's a lot of work to be in rescue. I do presentations all across the country to rescue organizations and humane organizations, and I love it. These people are so dedicated, and they're so willing to go the extra mile, and they don't know what days off are. They don't know what vacations are. And even when they try to take a vacation, they see a stray on the side of the road, and they stop the vacation, and they get the stray. These people are wonderful, and I I love speaking to their organizations. And a lot of times I don't think they get enough credit for all the work that they do. So what I want to do today is tell you about those organizations. And no, I'm not going to name them for you. That wouldn't be fair. Plus, there are too many. Did you hear? There are 13,857 animal adoption groups in the United States and Canada. I couldn't tell you all of the ones that I think are quality. But I'm going to teach you how to tell the difference because you don't want to be taken advantage of. You've finally done all your homework and you're ready to commit. You're ready to make that big leap and bring that little fluffy thing home. And you don't want to be disappointed if you have children. You certainly don't want to disappoint them. So we're going to talk about not all rescue organizations are alike. Now, first, I want to define rescue for you. A lot of people throw that term around, and I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page on this one. Rescue is not that your neighbor had a litter of puppies that she couldn't place, so you got one. You didn't rescue that dog. (laughs) Your neighbor might have been a really irresponsible breeder and didn't know what she was doing, and she didn't have homes for all the puppies, so you ended up with one. That is not rescue. Rescue is not purchasing from a puppy mill just because you felt sorry for the dog and you wanted to get that one dog out of that puppy mill situation. It's not what it is. It's certainly not buying from a pet store. 
That's not what rescue is. A rescue, as I'm defining it here today, is a stray animal or one that was adopted from an official rescue program or shelter. Okay, I've heard so many people say, oh, it's a rescue. And I'll say, oh, what organization did you go through? Oh, my neighbor had him. How's that rescuing? What are you rescuing exactly? So here are some qualities of a good rescue organization. Here's what I want you to look for when you're screening them. And you still need to screen. We talked all about breeders last time and all the things you need to look for in a quality breeder. Well, these are the things I want you to look for in a quality rescue organization. It really should be a registered 501c3 charity. If they're in the process of doing that, that's okay. Make sure that they really are and they're not just talking. But they really need to be a registered 501c3 charity. They also have to have good customer service. And you don't think about this, honestly, with rescue. I I think that this is often overlooked, but you should be able to have people call you back in a timely fashion. Yes, most of them are volunteers, but they shouldn't wait six weeks to call you back. They should call you back in a timely fashion, and they should treat you with respect, and they should treat the animals, of course, with respect. What I find is in a lot of industry pet industry situations and volunteer situations, there are people who have a lot of patience and compassion for animals, but not so much with people. And the thing about rescue organizations is that they don't just work with dogs and cats and bunnies and goats and horses. They don't just work with the animals. They have to work with people. The goal of any real quality adoption agency is to go out of business. They don't want to keep doing this forever. They want it to be where there are no more stray and needy animals that need homes. That's what they want. If they're really doing it for the right reasons. And in order to do that, you have to work with people because you have to match the pet to the person. You have to screen the people, make sure they're an appropriate home. So they have to have decent customer service skills. And I've had so many clients approach different rescue organizations and not just locally, but across the country. And they're treated so badly that it makes them go buy from a breeder or it makes them go to a different organization. They feel ridiculed or judged from simple things. A good rescue organization isn't going to make you feel like you're a burden for asking questions. I love it when people ask questions because that means they want to learn. And if you are asking questions about the organization or a particular pet that you're interested in, that is a good thing. That means that you're doing your homework. It means that you listen to my shows. So they shouldn't get mad at you or be grumpy with you because you're asking these questions. They also shouldn't make assumptions about you. If you work in rescue, unfortunately, you do see the terrible side of humanity. You see the animals that have been abused. You see the animals that have been neglected. You see the animals that have heartworms and mange. And you see the animals that are dumped because they're old or because they're sick. And it can really harden your heart. These people have big hearts to begin with if they're in it for the right reasons. And it can really harden your heart. What they need to fight every day is that they don't turn that against humanity. Because there are good people like you out there who are doing their homework and want to give an animal a loving home. So they shouldn't be treating you badly or make assumptions about you just because they've had a bunch of people ahead of you who were not as nice as you are. You really do have to have good customer service. You have to assume the best. If you specifically want a dog that doesn't shed, for example, that's your right. Maybe you have allergies. Maybe you live in an apartment or a rental and you, for whatever reason, you've decided you want a dog that doesn't shed. Asking about that should be fine. 
it's your right to ask those questions. You shouldn't be judged like, oh, well, you know, what if the dog sheds? You know, dogs shed all the time. That's just part of being a dog owner. And trainers can do this too. I find that trainers lose their patience with people a lot sometimes too. But if an organization is making you feel like some sort of uh, a criminal before you've proven yourself guilty, then go somewhere else. Just go somewhere else. You know, that right dog is out there waiting for you. You also should be able to ask questions. They should be able to answer where they get their dogs. Where do those dogs come from? You don't want a front that is actually a puppy mill. They're out there, believe me. You want to know how many dogs they have. That's a fair question. How many cats they have? What is their annual budget? These are all legitimate questions. If they're a public organization, 501c3, they should be able to answer that. And it should not make you feel bad for asking those questions. You really want to adopt from a quality agency. The facility, if they have a facility, should be very clean and very organized. You shouldn't see animals sitting in their own filth. A lot of these busts that you hear about on the news, the animals are in terrible, terrible conditions. You can tell that the kennels hadn't been cleaned in in weeks, maybe. So you want a nice, clean, organized facility. Is it going to be spotless? No. Uh, You know, puppies poop, especially if they brought in a bunch of puppies, but it should be fairly clean. You have to understand that dogs make a mess, but it should not be, they shouldn't be sitting in their own filth, for example. It should be fairly clean and fairly well organized. If they use foster homes, and I will tell you that's a personal favorite of mine. I really like uh, the ones that are able to use foster homes. What is the ratio? Ask them what the ratio is. For each foster, how many pets does each foster have? What I'm finding and what I counsel against when I, I do these presentations is that it's not enough to warehouse an animal till you find it a permanent home. That's really doing a disservice to the animal because you're not going to be able to determine exactly who that animal is if it's surrounded by 10 other dogs, especially coming into a situation like that. Dogs can be suppressed when they first come into a situation with, with multiple animals. And also you're doing a disservice to the family because you don't really know that animal. You... Uh, need to have a decent foster to dog ratio. What is that ratio? I don't know. Uh, it's not 10 to 1, 3, 4 to 1. I mean, some of us have multiple dogs, it, but it's, you know, it's not the case where dogs are like potato chips. You can't stop at one. Uh, some of us have multiple dogs. We've had multiple dogs for a very long time. Gosh, when was the last time I had a single dog? I think that was before I got Finian. So that was over seven years ago. But If these poor foster parents are struggling with seven, eight, 10, 20 dogs each, that's not going to help you. It is not going to help you. And that's just warehousing. And again, it's more than that. These folks need to find out who this dog is, how the dog behaves. had a situation once where a uh, person, a friend of mine who does fostering, was told that this foster dog that she was going to take in got along great at the first foster home with other dogs. And she's like, oh, good, because I have other dogs, too, and I'm willing to take this dog off your hands for a little while and foster her for a little while. And it had to leave the first home for whatever reason. Well, she brought the dog home. The dog went after one of her dogs. She separated it. She's a very, very gifted trainer, good person, good foster, got a lot of experience. She tried to introduce it to several of her dogs. None of it worked. The dog went after every single one. And she waited for a while. Maybe it's just stressed from the, no, no, this dog did not like other dogs. And the first foster mom said, oh, she's great. She's great. But it wasn't the case. What I think might have happened was the first foster mom had a heck of a lot of dogs, 10, 12, 13. And sometimes you see this on TV shows. I won't name it. But you have the aggressive dog and he's turned loose with this huge pack of like 25 or 50 dogs. And he's announced to be cured. Look, he's cured. He hasn't aggressed towards any of these dogs and he's not growling. 
the dog's not stupid. It's not that the dog's aggression is solved. It's that the dog isn't an idiot. He's faced with 50 dogs. He's not going to mouth off. He's not an idiot. It just cracks me up because the dog is giving everybody signal, lip licking, head turning, cowering. The dog is showing major signs of stress. And if that dog were to go back to a situation with fewer dogs, he would feel a lot more confident and go back to his old ways because it wasn't the problem that was treated. It was a symptom. We don't want him to growl. We don't want him to do this. Well, the problem is he's aggressive. And let's find out why he's aggressive and fix that. So I think that's what happened with this foster dog. You want to find out what the ratio is. You want to make sure you understand what kind of home, what kind of foster home that dog was in, just to make sure that there's a realistic picture going on. A really good foster mom or dad is going to be able to tell you all sorts of things about that dog. And they're going to be accurate about it, too. So you want to work with a rescue organization that also has a really positive reputation in the community. Is there, you know, buzzing about them? About, oh my gosh, they always adopt out sick pets or they adopt out too early when they're young, either the five-week-old kittens and these terrible things. So make sure that they have a good reputation. Ask your friends, ask your veterinarian, ask trainers. You also want one that's going to screen adopters. Yes, they should ask you a lot of questions. It's actually a sign that they care. They shouldn't be mean about it, but they should ask you lots of questions. They're going to want to know, do you have a fence? Do you have kids? Do you have this, that, or the other thing? How many hours are you at work? What are you going to do? You want one that's going to care enough about that pet that they're going to interrogate you nicely, politely, about what your home life is like. They don't, they don't want that pet back. They want it to stay with you forever. On the other hand, there are organizations out there that rule everybody out. I don't know how they place anything. People have to be home and not work all day, which is great if you're wealthy enough to do that. I am not one of them. You have to never leave the house for more than an hour. You can't have any stairs because dogs shouldn't have to go up and down stairs. You have to have three acres fully fenced in, this, that. I don't know how people meet this criteria. I have had some friends who are wonderful, renowned trainers that have been refused to some organizations. I'm like, how can you refuse that person? My gosh, I'll never get in if this person didn't get in because of whatever reason. Uh, Some adoption agencies are just so stringent. I seriously don't know how they place anybody, but they should ask you lots of questions. So please don't be offended. Make sure that you're upfront about everything. And if you're concerned about something, maybe not making past muster, tell them anyway, because you want to make sure that they're going to do a home visit. A good one will also do a home visit and actually check out your house. I've done home visits before for organizations and I check fences. I check everything. I check all sorts of things to make sure that it's on the up and up. They also should allow you to decide what's right for you. They have absolutely the right to not adopt an animal out to you. Some of them adopt more out than I wish they would in that regard. But they have the right to say, no, this is not the dog. We're not willing to adopt this dog. You don't get to just walk in with a checkbook and pick whatever you want. Okay, it doesn't work that way. It does have to be a good match. But you should be able to decide what's right. They shouldn't try to convince you an animal is right for you when it's not. I'm going to tell a kitten story, not a dog story, but a kitten one. This was years and years and years and years ago. And I wanted to adopt my first cat. I did not grow up with cats. I wasn't as familiar with them. So I was a brand new owner to this. And I wanted a cat. And so I went to this local adoption fair and I picked up this little kitten. And it was a cute little brownish Siamese mix, apparently. And I scooped him up. He was a little bitty thing. And he started yowling. He was doing this... It sounded like a siren. And I'd had two seconds of that, and I was done. I was just done. <laughs> and that just was not the thing for me. Well, 
the rescue volunteers flocked around me. I think they tried to tag team me with like two, two or three of them. And they kept telling me how this was the perfect cat for me. They hadn't met me yet. They didn't know my name. And they're like, oh, oh, look, he's so bonded to you. In the meantime, the whole time they're doing this sales job on this kitten, he's doing, I mean, just hitting pitches that, you know, dogs for miles were howling for this little kitten. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just don't think this is the cat for me. I, I just, this yowling, I, I don't think I could, I could live with that. And they're like, oh, but he matches your hair. Really? I am a brunette. He also was a brunette or she also was a brunette. But is that the criteria we're going for now? Is that where we're setting the bar? I don't think so. So I put the kitten down. I smiled at them and I left and I have never worked with them since. Wow. You don't try to convince someone to take home a lifetime commitment because of the color of their hair. So if they do that to you, that would be a good sign to run away. Um, I did not adopt that kitten. I ended up with another one from another organization and uh, he was a doll baby. We had many, many, many good years together. So another thing about good rescue organizations, you want them to be truthful and they need to be upfront about breed, about issues, about all sorts of things. Had a client once come through my group class and her dog was just bouncy, 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 bouncy. I mean, just little nutcase, which was normal because it was a part pit. Pitties are very active. They're very, very active, you know, go get her little terriers. And so she was very frustrated. And so she came to me after class. She said, so he just won't calm down. I said, oh, well, you know, part of his breed. And she said, and she got real quiet. She goes, what do you think he is? And she said it like that. And I said, well, he's obviously, you know, there might be some lab in there, but he really looks, really, really looks half pit or mostly pit to me. And she just got, oh, I knew it. Like, what do you mean? She goes, they told us there was no pit in this dog. And they said that deliberately. They said he was just a lab mix. And the way it came across was that the rescue group they had gotten it from had deliberately hidden that. And I know why people do that, because pits get a bad rap. And if you've listened to my show before, you know I'm a pit pusher. That's what I've been called, which cracks me up. I do love that. Is that the right dog for every person? No. Is a herding breed the right dog for every person? No. Is a chihuahua the right dog? No. You need to be upfront. And this dog really looked pity. It really did. It was shocking to me that I mean, sometimes you're like, I don't know, but this dog was definitely mostly pit. He was a doll baby, but I've had people who were afraid of them. And I had another couple once come up to me after class and they always say it in a whisper. Do you think he's a pit mix? I'm like, yeah, look at his little face. And I'm, I'm loving on him. And now they're scared of their dog. I'm like, well, you've had this dog for two months. He didn't scare you before. Just because of who he is, it's going to be all right. But you need to understand the type of dog you have so that you can understand the characteristics of that breed or that breed mix to the best of their ability. If they're deliberately hiding that, it's not good. It's just not good. Does the dog have a bite history? You need to know that. Does the dog, has he ever bitten anybody? Has he ever growled at anybody or anything or any other animal? You have the right to find out that information. You want to be careful about the advertisements they do for dogs. Think of it as housing advertisement, real estate ads. You know, when you see the ad that says, it's a charming starter home, you know that it's really small, charming means small, and it's fallen apart, right? Or if you see these, all the things they use to disguise these houses, whimsical or, or yeah, charming or rustic, you're like, oh, it's in the middle of nowhere. Same thing with dogs. Some people are really bad about that. They'll say, great watchdog. That means he barks incessantly or would be a great agility prospect. 
that means he's hyper. So you want to make sure that just because you see the ad and it sounds great that you're kind of digging behind that to make sure. I will tell you that the best rescue groups will work with you to find a mutual match. They're going to listen to what you want. They're going to guide you. They're going to give you education, but not in a superior manner. They want it to work out. So they're going to work with you. And when we come back after all this talking, I'm going to talk to you about why you should adopt a rescue dog in the first place. There are some wonderful reasons, and I'm going to share them with you when we come back. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free, and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at Pet Lady World. Having a rough day? Longing for the dog days of summer? Think your fun furry friend lives a dog's life? Well, find out everything you're begging to know as Pet Life Radio presents It's a Doggy Dog World with pet expert and award-winning author Liz Palaika, Kate Abbott, and Petra Burke. Every dog has his day, and you'll find out how to make your dog's day fun and rewarding every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com Welcome back to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Teody Anderson. Some people are hesitant to adopt a rescue in the first place. If you're kind of going back and forth, whether you want to go through a breeder or a rescue, there are pros and cons to both. But I think the biggest myth that I hear is that rescue animals are broken or they have a lot of baggage or they always need rehabilitation. And that's not necessarily true. Uh, There was a recent study conducted by the National Council on Pet Population Study and Policy. And this was published in the Journal of Applied Animal Welfare Science. Researchers went into 12 animal shelters across the United States for one year. And what they wanted to find out was why dogs were turned in. And cats, I believe, too. I just pulled out the dog data because we're talking mainly dogs today. But they wanted to find out what is the number one reason. And here they are in order. One, people were moving. 7%. Is that necessarily a dog that is broken or has a lot of baggage? No, the people were moving and they couldn't take their dog with them. The second one, the landlord not allowing a pet. Number three, too many animals in the household. 
Four, cost of pet maintenance. Pets are expensive. Five, owner having personal problems. That could be somebody lost their job. Maybe they were getting ill. It's always sad when you hear about senior citizens who have to give up their pets because they have to go into a nursing home and the families don't want the pets. The number six was inadequate facilities. Seven, no homes available for litter mates. There's some responsible breeding. Eight, having no time for the pet. Well, at least they admit that. Nine, pet illnesses. And that's only 4%. And then 10, biting was 3%. So... If you're worried that every dog in the shelter is going to end up being in an aggressive Cujo, well, that was the 10th reason. It wasn't even number one through nine. Could he be a Cujo? Yes, but that's likely not the issue. Not all people, on the other hand, are evil who give up their pets. It's so easy to judge and it's easy to say, well, you should have stepped up and you should have known what it was a responsibility. There are times when people have circumstances beyond their control. The people who have to go to nursing homes are the people who lose their jobs and then they can't afford the dog. People who get into the military and they have to live on base due to financial reasons and the base won't allow housing for dogs. And maybe the, the friend was supposed to take the dog and backed out or a family member backed out. Sometimes things happen in our lives. You never know that you're going to be the one who needs the Red Cross. You don't know that your house is going to be the one that catches on fire or you're subject to a flood or a hurricane. You hope that you're not somebody who's going to need a United Way or other civic agency to come save you, but sometimes it happens. And in those situations, people have to give up their pets. Heartbreaking to sit in those waiting rooms and see people bawling and bawling and crying and They don't want to have to give up their pets. So not everybody is evil who drops a dog off to the shelter. So that's not the subject for this show. We're going to focus on the fact that someone gave up a pet in the first place, and this could be your pet. This could be your perfect family member. Another myth is that you don't want to do it because you don't know what you're getting. Well, that's not necessarily true either. If there's an owner surrender, you're going to have some history there. Some rescue organizations also do evaluations. This dog should also be fully vetted. A good organization is going to work very closely with veterinarians. So the veterinarian should be able to tell you about the health of that pet, which is great. And also, if an organization has foster parents, that's another reason why I like foster parents, is because they have lived in a household setting with this dog, which is much more realistic than a shelter setting, and they get to know the dog's little quirks, you know, what makes him happy, what he doesn't like, what are his issues. And they should be very upfront about those issues, too. You want them to be truthful. I do not believe in adopting out dogs with a major bite history. I just don't. And there's, we've had previous shows about that where organizations have adopted these animals out and these animals are dangerous. People love to root for that underdog and you don't want the underdog in your house in that regard, especially if it's dangerous. I had a show about that. I think it was episode five, When Good People Love Bad Dogs. So if you haven't checked that one out, check back to When Good People Love Bad Dogs. I talked about that then. When you're adopting a rescue dog, another thing to think about is that you're going to have to pay something. I don't want you to expect not to pay just because it's a rescue, but talk about the costs up front. Find out what the costs are. Are you getting what you pay for? Yes and no. When you pay for a dog. I will tell you that some flea markets sell dogs, and at least in this area, and they're charging five to six hundred dollars for these dogs. And it just drives me nuts because these dogs are obviously backyard bred or puppy mill, and people are paying just dropping five or six hundred dollars like it's nothing. I'm like, you could take that to a good breeder and actually get a health contract. I just don't get that. Uh, it's all in sales. I will tell you that I was in Florida at a very nice part of Florida. And I was walking past a shopping center and I looked in the window of this little pet store and they had a little multi-poo, a little mixed breed Maltese poodle mix. And it was a puppy and it was $1,875. I about fainted on the sidewalk outside the store. I, I don't go inside stores that sell puppies. I just have ethical issues with that because most of them are ill-bred or from puppy mills. But it did not occur to me for a second that that dog would be on the market for long. 
I'm sure somebody would have happily dropped down $1,875 for that little multi-poo. You could go to your local shelter and get one for $250, $300. I just don't get it. And also, you just don't know if that came from a puppy that was really small. It was also sleeping. And while young puppies will sleep a lot, it could have been shut down. There was just so many things wrong with that scenario. But people would think, well, I paid $1,875 for this dog. It must be a quality dog. Yeah, not necessarily. It probably came from the Midwest, and it's probably only six weeks old. So don't think that. I also had a client once who announced very proudly that they had paid $3,000 for a wolf hybrid. That dog was no more wolf than I am. Uh, they were ripped off. So don't think that money's everything. Will you pay more for a quality breeder dog? Yes. Yes. But you can just as easily be ripped off by somebody who is not selling a quality dog. When you purchase from a rescue, when you adopt from a rescue, they're paying for that animal's health care. It may have come into them in bad condition. A lot of them have heartworms in this area. We're in the south, and so got lots of mosquitoes. Uh, maybe they had to pay for heartworm treatment. They had to spay or neuter that pet. They had to give it vaccinations. Maybe they microchipped it. They put a lot of money into that pet, and they have to continue. So it is not unusual for rescues to charge for whatever prices, they, they range all over, but that's normal and you should have to pay that. That's okay because your pet has already had a lot invested in it before you even brought it home. So you go to a rescue, you've picked one out. What do you pick? Oh, this is the fun part. Okay. Let's say we're looking at a puppy. You want to pick the puppy that's average. No one wants to hear that. People say, oh, it's Judy. I don't want average. I want exceptional. I just want exceptional. Well, I promise you, if you pick a puppy that's kind of in the middle, the middle of everything, it's not the most extreme puppy on either side of the scale, he will be exceptional. He will be exceptional for you. What I'm talking about is you go look at a litter of puppies and there's one that's just pushing everybody around. He's pushy, 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 pushy. Yeah, don't pick that one. If you are looking for competitive sports and you want a high drive dog, okay, we're talking something different. Maybe that's the puppy for you. But for the average suburban household, don't pick that one. Then there's the other puppy, the one that's hiding under the couch or hiding under the end table and he's really timid and you pick him up and he doesn't move and he's snuggly. Yeah, don't pick that one either. A dog that is timid or afraid is going to grow up to be a timid or afraid adult dog. You want the one that's average. You want the one that's social, it's hanging out with you, plays with the other ones okay. It's just kind of in the middle. And I know that doesn't sound appealing, but I promise you that's going to be a better balanced dog in the long run. So don't pick the pushy one. Don't pick the scared one. Puppies should be at least eight weeks old. Don't let them give you one that's too early. They should have had a lot of socialization. Find out exactly what they did to socialize. Has it met children? Has it met different breeds of dogs, different sizes of dogs, different types of people? Find out what that socialization. If possible, meet the parents. If rescues have young puppies, they will probably have the mom there. And you want to meet mom and find out, is she sweet? Is she social? Does she like people? Or is she cowering in a corner? Because that could be indicative of what the puppies are learning too. Temperament is passed down. So you want to try to meet, you probably won't be able to meet the dad necessarily, but you should at least be able to meet the mom if you're looking for young puppies. If you're looking for an adult dog, good for you. I'm so proud of you. Uh, a lot of people overlook the adults and they can be so much more stable than the puppies. Puppies are work, 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 work. They're wonderful and they're so cute, but they're a lot of work. So think about adopting an adult dog. You want an adult dog that is confident, that's social that is outgoing, wants to spend time with you and your family. You want to observe the interactions with people and other dogs. What does he do with people he doesn't know? You're going to be a stranger to this dog. Some dogs are really, really friendly with people they know, and then they don't really like other people outside that circle. That's maybe not the project you want to take on. You want a dog that's just going to approach you and be very sweet and outgoing. Ask about the dog's history. Has he ever bitten anybody? Has he ever growled at anything? 
what makes this dog the most adoptable in their eyes and the least adoptable in their eyes. Go ahead and ask them that. You want to try to get the scoop on this dog as much as possible. Know that when you do bring the dog home, there's usually this thing called about a honeymoon period. A lot of people talk about it. It's usually about a month where sometimes it takes a full month for a dog to get comfortable in a new place. And then the behavior issues may start kicking in. Ask how long the fosters had the dog. Has it only had a week? Then maybe those behavior problems haven't popped up yet. Maybe not that they're trying to hide anything from you. It just may be that they haven't popped up yet. Have they had it two months? Have they had it three years? If so, why? But ask the questions. And Pick the one that is going to make you the happiest and pick the one that you are the perfect match for that dog as well. I hope this series has been helpful to you. I hope that if you have friends who are in looking for that perfect family companion, you will pass the series along to them. Once again, this is T.O.D. Anderson. You've been listening to Get Positive Results on Pet Life Radio. You can reach me on the web at getpositiveresults.com, email at T.O.D., T-E-O-T-I, at PetLifeRadio.com. You can find me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Anderson. Thanks again for listening to Get Positive Results. I want to thank my producers for making this show happen, and I will talk to you soon on Get Positive Results, Pet Life Radio. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.